Welcome to Roll Call with We The Project. This is your host, Jordan Petros. We are here to connect, create, and discover today's people and projects in entertainment. Some of the most successful artists, I think they're successful because they just genuinely bring a good energy to the table and they kind of check and curb everything else at the door when they're engaging and interacting with people. Asa Israel Rice, also known as Ace, was born and raised in Minneapolis. He began his career marketing and brand building in the music industry. After studying architecture at Florida A&M, he returned to Minneapolis to start a street promotions business that worked with and represented Def Jam, Rockefeller, and Murder Inc. on a local level. By day, he was leading product trainings on shoes and apparel for Adidas Sports Performance. And by night, he was managing local music talents and executive producing some of their first albums. A year later, Ace moved to LA, continuing to work with Adidas for the next five years, Rice sharpened his skills at breaking records and artists at Warner Brother Records, responsible for breaking the first releases for Wiz Khalifa, J-Rock of Top Dog Entertainment, while also working closely with artists like Lil Scrappy and Talib Kweli. On the second day of living in New York, Rice was introduced to Coco and Breezy, the city's fashion it girls and aspiring sunglass designers. Ace opened Plot Gallery, which he started, and focuses on presenting art and experiences in a way that would draw a younger crowd than you would typically see at art galleries and museums in the past by working with nationally known artists like Machine Gun Kelly and Madsen. Ace recently has expanded his work to include painting, which are now on display at the new Plot Gallery, and launching a creative and marketing agency to help grow brands of his clients. Let's hear what he's up to now. Hey Ace, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, Taco Tuesday too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have any plans uh, this week or through May through being quarantined and kind of remaining active during this time? Um, I'm launching a website for my art gallery and clothing brand. So I had a clothing brand I launched in Minnesota a few years ago. Like I'm calling it gallery merch. I wouldn't even say a, a clothing brand, gallery merch. So just like a bunch of products that's focused on like celebrating the art that we have in my art gallery. Nice. How'd you get in that art gallery space and start to collaborate with some of these artists? I don't know, really, I was uh, working in New York and I was helping out a couple brands, uh, spray ground backpacks. And I, I wanted to just have my own, like it was fun working with someone else's brand and helping someone else develop a brand. But I wanted to, you know, kind of develop my own brand. And I think every brand needs to have a story. And so I moved back home to Minneapolis and I really just wanted to figure out kind of like, what's the story of Minneapolis? What's the story of Minnesota? And we're really like artsy market. Like we have like one of the, I think the number two theater market outside of New York in the world. And you know, a lot of great painters and a lot of great musicians. So we're just like kind of been a very artsy type of community. So I figured that would be like one way to anchor the brand would be able to like have it really tied into the arts. So I started by just opening an art gallery first and doing a bunch of art shows with different artists and stuff like that. So that was really kind of the genesis of the, the art gallery. Yeah, that's how I think I, I learned about you is you had a post on social media about Machine Gun Kelly's exhibition, I believe, yeah. um, a while ago. And actually, I saw that Craig Rice, your dad, liked it, right? So your dad's a movie director. He's actually a professor at Minneapolis College of Art and Design. He helped me actually get a couple referrals for a film editor and, and a filmmaker. So shout out to Craig and really appreciate that introduction. 
Yeah, what's up, Pops? <laughs> <laughs> when you think of Minneapolis and you think of some of the things we have going here, you move to LA. How do you? What's your perspective on how to bridge the world, whether it's digitally or when we think about when we grew up in the Midwest, we're like, well, we have to move out to LA or New York to do a lot of the, this creative work. What would you give to people who are in Minneapolis who want to have more production experience? I think moving, there's no replication like moving to New York or LA, like you have to go out and get that experience. But I do think there are other markets. You know, I think Atlanta has like a growing film community. Uh, Vancouver, uh, British Columbia shoots a lot of stuff as well. So there's work in other cities, but I do think that just being from Minnesota, it's I've noticed that there's work up until a certain point, and then you got to go out and get that experience other places. And I think once you go out and get that experience other places, you can always bring it back to Minnesota. But I think, you know, just to like get your chops up, just like in any field, you have to go out and compete against the best. And I think that's part of being the best is competing against the best too. So you got to take your bumps and bruises and learn from the people around you, your peers, and learn from the people that have more experience than you. And, you know, that tends to be in some bigger markets. So. Take us through when you moved from Minneapolis out to one of the coasts, like what you had lined up, what gaps there were, and, and kind of how you made your way through the landscape. Yeah, so I really initially moved to L.A. kind of on the music tip. I had been doing, had like a street team company where we were doing street team for a bunch of record labels and nightclubs and stuff like that. And we were promoting artists locally in Minnesota. And so we had, at some point we were doing a street team for like Def Jam, Rockefeller, and a few other record labels under Def Jam. And really kind of just felt like we had peaked out as far as our relationships in the music business. So I, I moved to L.A. Uh, mostly to try and get deeper connections in the music business, try and, you know, get a job at a record label and try and uh, build that bridge. Because in Minnesota, there's a great local music scene, but there's not like a, a big national connection to the music scene. So that was really kind of the genesis of me moving to L.A. And sure enough, as soon as I got to L.A., I kind of dove right back in. I teamed up with a street team company in L.A. called Street Elements. And from there, they kind of introduced me and connected me to a lot of different people. And then from there, I kind of made my own relationships to, to get my foot in the door in a lot of different places. You started your brand plot in 2011 in Minneapolis. And as you're kind of expanding, now you're going into clothing. Where do you see this playing out in the next decade for you? Yeah. So, I mean, really, I started, I was living in New York when the idea of starting the brand came to me. I was helping at the time I was head of marketing for Sprayground. It was launching a backpack company and it was doing well for itself and it was a lot of fun. But I saw like how fun it was for the owner, David, to kind of see his vision come to light. And it was fun helping, but I also, I kind of wanted to like put my own vision and see that come to life as well. So it's been like quite a journey. We talked about, I think, starting a brand, you have to have a brand story. So I was less focused on actually like designing clothes and coming up with products as more so as I was focused on creating the brand lifestyle. So that's why, again, why I opened the art gallery. So for about three years, I just curated different art shows and spent most of my time connecting with different artists and curating art shows and less of my time actually like designing products and brand stuff. But that's kind of it allowed me to learn a lot throughout the process. And now I'm in the position where I'm relaunching the brand here in LA and I'm able to put a little bit more focus or a lot more focus into the actual development of cool products through the brand because I have a much more grounded understanding of what our brand is and uh, how to develop the brand. So um, right now, really just focus on the relaunch of, of the brand and again, kind of not just around the art and not just curating art shows, but now also putting the products to match the art as well. So 
So take us through without giving away your, your blueprint on once you have a product and you want to do digital marketing, what are your theories or what are your philosophies around how to get folks to learn about you? Well, there's, um, I kind of call it strategic marketing to encapsulate all the different areas of it. But, you know, there's obviously the content piece. So making sure that you have cool and engaging content. I think a general creative direction before you go into actually developing the content is really understanding uh, how your brand will express itself. And then from there, you can go out and develop content. And then outside of that, you obviously you want to have your influencers. So that uh, really goes into like, who are you teaming your brand up with? Who can your brand be associated with? Who's wearing your brand? And how can you celebrate that? How do you celebrate the fact that you might have a Machine Gun Kelly that comes in as an art show there or a mod son or et cetera? So those are kind of like those influencer partnerships. And then, you know, depending upon how big you want to go, you know, there's some media buying that you can do. So, you know, I think not only in the digital space, but I think it's really important for people to experience your brand physically as well. So as much as I would do online media, I also like try and do the offline media and that for me, offline media is really the experiential piece. So that is the gallery, that is the art shows that we do, that is the gatherings that we do. So that's kind of like the bridge between people might see an ad online or people might see a post online, but the gallery is the physical experience of our brand. It's where you can come and see what we're all about. So I kind of try and keep a balance of all of those things going in, I guess, in the digital space. Cool. My wife owns a, a clothing company. She's sort of on hiatus. We have a four-year-old, so we've been doing a lot of parenting, but uh, her brand is around custom-made lingerie. Yes. And I actually lived in a lingerie store for three years. Oh, <laughs> wow. That, yeah. that's, that sounds pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting, yeah. <laughs> One story I remember, I was downstairs because that's where we live, but we also had our, our music rehearsal spot down there. And um, one of the first Victoria's Secret models walks in and I was downstairs and she was going to start her lingerie brand. And she was asking, asking my wife about all these different things. And I'm like, who was it? And she was, she gave me the card. I'm like, okay, yeah, Stephanie Seymour. Uh, she started her lingerie brand and uh, the difficult part was actually scaling out production because it was all custom made. And so she would take on an order and, and sew it. And if, if it wasn't perfect, she'd actually remake it. We ended up doing an internship where we teach students. When you think about scaling, right, you think about mass producing certain things or increasing prices. And so when you're producing things, how do you think about scaling it out and, and kind of what your plan is to reach the certain demographic you're trying to reach. Yeah. So I think scaling the business is one of my biggest uh, learning lessons from the first launch of our brand a few years ago was we actually partnered with a company, a streetwear brand called Pink Dolphin. They have a manufacturing company where basically they like kind of managed our production for us where all of our products were kind of made in the same factories that their products were made, which was awesome because the quality was you know A1. But the challenge was we invested a bunch in product up front. Um, right to make minimums and production minimums and et cetera. But then as we launched the brand, we found that certain products were our like hits. So we might've had five or six hits, but we had invested in these 20 other products at minimums so that we actually ended up investing a bunch of capital into products that didn't sell as much as uh, some of our, you know, our go-to items. So that was kind of like one of the biggest shifts and challenges for us. But as I like refocus the business, that was something that I had to address 
um, before anything else. So actually kind of the biggest reason for the hiatus of the brand, other than trying to getting a new gallery location and the move from Minneapolis to LA was really making sure that when we move forward, that the business is scalable from a production standpoint to where I don't have to one, I think physically man the, the production and fulfillment as much. So not only do you have to deal with the actual producing the product, but for me, the least exciting things about it was like actually going to the post office, writing mailing addresses on packaging, waiting in that line, <laughs> like emailing people, tracking numbers and all that. So that became a task that I was less excited about. So it actually kind of detracted from my excitement of getting orders to the point where I would get orders and I would just send people their money back if I didn't want to go to the post office that day. <laughs> so again, I had to take that as a learning and reshift and focus the business to where it was able to cover certain gaps in areas that I didn't have the interest to be focused in. So now as I've refocused the business, it's been more so finding solutions to where that is more automated. So whether that's drop shipping or uh, print on demand companies actually will fulfill and ship the orders for you. That's been something that I've had to work out and fix um, before I decided to move forward and relaunch the brand. Fashion not even going to call it fashion, clothing overall is like one of the most polluting industries out there. If you think of all the clothes that you have, if you think of made in China, made in this and that, I feel yeah, like- it's, it's, it's actually the number two most polluted industry outside of the transportation industry in the world. Yeah. If you think about your own clothes or at least mine, I'm like, I have all these t-shirts I don't wear and they're all made elsewhere. And, and through this, I feel like more people are finding where is it made? How is it made? And hopefully that'll be a, a result from this whole pandemic. Well, one, I think through the pandemic, people are realizing what even items in their closet they want to wear or care about would wear. You know, I've, I've found in this experience that I have a whole closet full of clothes that I only wear like on special occasions or to go out. And like now that I haven't you know left the house in basically two months, I kind of just, you know, stick to my basics, my hoodies and stuff like that. And so I found myself looking at all my clothes in the closet, just like thinking like, it's kind of just a waste of money. And not, you know, not to say that supporting brands isn't cool, but I think that like buying things because I don't know, I think just like the, the idea of buying so much in excess of clothes, I realized that like, if shit hit the fan tomorrow, you're going to be able to what carry like maybe a duffel bag, maybe a roller bag. Like, you know, if I had to move and hit, throw everything in my truck and get out of town right now, like I'm probably going to only make, you know, probably 20% of my clothes might make it, you know, I'm really going to, you know, hunker down and it's, it's not going to be a, a bunch of this stuff. So it's only made me realize more what, what I like to wear, what's important and stuff like that. And so I think it's less about the clothes and more so about like what the brands stand for. And so I think pollution is one of those things that, uh, I think brands should stand for or they should have a take on it. And I think as a someone who builds out brands and is making products, I think that's something that's super important as we go forward. When an artist comes to you and says, Ace, I want to create a brand, whether it's clothing or sneakers or, or, or art, how do you walk them through that process to find what's important to them so that can reflect in the art? Well, I think one, it starts with like understanding and getting to know that person or getting to know that brand. So, you know, I usually have a host of questions to really get down and make sure that my understanding is the same understanding as their understanding. And sometimes you'll find that 
in those questions, someone will come to an understanding, right? Because maybe that's certain things they haven't thought about, or maybe certain things they assume everyone knows or gets automatically. But really, again, asking those questions usually will lead to someone actually having to write it down, put it on paper. And with something's on paper, you can actually deal more so from a concrete standpoint on understanding and moving forward on based on exactly what that is. So usually, like I said, that's kind of the first thing. And then next is how does that brand express itself, right? So you can have an understanding of what your brand is or what you want it to be, but then like, how does that express itself? How does that come to life? So like I said, with me, for my, with my brand, it's, it's, it's about art. So how does that come to life? It comes to life through an art gallery. Um, with other brands, it's going to have a different expression. And let's say like a, a snowboard brand, it's going to express itself on the hill. So with a skateboard brand, it's going to express itself in skating. So there's different types of skateboarding. And then finding the right riders that show how that brand or that align with how you want your brand to be expressed. So kind of across the board, it's really understanding how you want that brand to be expressed and making sure that that is aligned. Because it's cool to say that, but then if you go out here and do a bunch of kind of like uh, random stuff or you're signing skaters that doesn't make sense or you're signing skateboarders that don't make sense or you're signing basketball players that don't make sense as a representation representation of your brand, the consumer is going to have a hard time really understanding who you are and what you stand for. I'm just brainstorming ideas of, of clothes that could express it digitally. Could there be something that you create t-shirt wise that shows people what you're listening to, what you're reading and having something that's I mean, they they already have that. It's basically, yeah. you know, band merch, you know? Yeah. Like, so, like, when you go to a concert, you know, they got a, that stand in the back of the venue that everyone goes and buys, and some people do it better than others. You know, I think some guys, like, I think uh, I work with Brock Hampton. Their, their merch is incredible. Kanye, his merch resells for probably, like, three, four, five times what it was originally purchased for. So I think that's a huge new space right now in the industry is, you know, band merch. Um, so I, and I mean, even from from that all the way down to Stranger Things, you know, one of the most popular, I guess, hoodies of 2018 or 17 was the, I think it was the Minnesota Children's Museum hoodie, which was, uh, had, I think it had bronchiosaurus or some type of dinosaur on it, but it was basically because one of the kids on Stranger Things wore it and it kind of took off and became like a, a fan favorite. Yeah. Or how can we create something that has like a digital built-in thing to the t-shirt or am i is are we is that too yeah similar? no i don't i mean you can try i've seen some belts that have the digital like reader across where you can kind of program yeah. some name into it or maybe what, like what you're listening to possible i mean too much i never would tell anyone you know yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean I, if you see it i can imagine it happening yeah as far as fashion shows or that piece is that something worthwhile to continue with. I know when we did ours, it was basically for marketing and it was for sales. And I can see some designers doing it for sales, being able to sell out a season. Yeah. Are, are, are you seeing fashion shows being relevant going forward for like- uh, I think or, yes and no. I think it, it depends like what type of brand you have. So I say yes and no. I worked with a brand, it was an eyewear company that actually had gotten its name or gotten a lot of its popularity because it did a lot of fashion shows and it had cool celebrities at the fashion shows. And, you know, and that was kind of early social media days. So that's when it was, you know, having celebrities at your shows went a long way on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. But actually coming in to that business, I actually had to 
work with the, the it was a uh, Coco and Breezy, they're two twin eyewear designers, but actually work with them to refocus their business outside of the fashion shows. And I think it proved to pay off because their business is doing better than ever. And it wasn't that the fashion shows were a bad idea, but when you have a startup business and you have limited resources and you have limited bandwidth, uh, meaning, you know, people behind you that are working every day, man hours, right? Um, that you have to put your man hours into where it will be most effective for your business. And so as fun as the fashion shows were, I think the man hours we put into the fashion shows was not quite as effective as we had hoped for. Meaning for us, sunglasses and eyewear, eyewear and sunglasses mostly sell in retail stores. So uh, it's much more important in the eyewear business to spend that time to get your eyewear indoors so that people can come and try them on as opposed to seeing them on a runway. Because if you see a pair of eyeglasses on the runway, that's awesome, but you can't try them on in the runway. So what's the consumer experience, right? Most people buy eyewear based on how it fits their face. So no matter how cool it looks on whatever model or celebrity, I'm going to have to go and put those and try those eyeglasses on for myself to make sure they fit my face. So that was an instance where I think the fashion shows are awesome. But I think the idea of pivoting to getting into retail was a bigger opportunity for them. So that's one way I think I've seen fashion shows where it wasn't as helpful. But for other brands, it can be. I think the space is changing now to where the world is so small that I think the idea of focusing on just a fashion show and not ways that that fashion show can be experienced by the world is a little bit narrow-minded. So, I mean, even with the Girls Coco and Breezy, the first fashion show I did and worked on with them, we live streamed it on Ustream back when Ustream was cool. That way people who couldn't be in New York at the time could at least experience it and get a better idea of what the vision was behind it. I remember seeing Coco and Breezy in 2009, I believe, in Minneapolis, yeah. and they were, they were doing work. And then the next thing I heard from my wife, she's like, they moved to New York and now Rihanna's wearing their glasses. And I wasn't, was that the connect or was there, was there more steps in between or is that even accurate? I, I just remember them kind of going from local celebrities to now they're they're doing a lot of work with other celebrities yeah i mean there was definitely a lot of work that happened in between that um and, and I, I wasn't there for all of it but definitely you know the girls were able to network and had a small group of people and friends in new york that were like stylists and tastemakers and artists and from there that's kind of really where their buzz and success behind their brand started and those girls worked incredibly hard I, I remember the first you know times i met them first time i met them you uh they were making their eyewear in their kitchen um and as i began to work with them and there was so many endless nights where they would you know, start at nine eight nine in the morning making eyewear sending out emails or press releases or reaching out to stylists and it wouldn't stop until two or three in the morning, you know, and that happened basically every day for about two years. And that's really where we developed our brand because I was one of those people that when we started working together, I'm a fairly hardworking person. So if you girls can work from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m., I'm like someone who's going to like try and see if I can work from 10 to three. And so that's really where our bond kind of developed because we would stay up until one, two every morning working on different elements and aspects of their brand. So uh, definitely a lot of hard work went into it. And then, like I said, you know, networking with stylists proved to be very successful for them. It's where they were able to get on celebrities like Rihanna, Beyonce, Kelly Osbourne and the like. What's your mantra this year? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I think whatever mantra I had two months ago got washed by coronavirus. So my mantra right now is just like stay productive. I'm um, just really focused on 
not necessarily falling into not to say like corona corona season laziness but i think it's really easy to wake up whenever watch whatever play video games i don't i don't have a video game unit but like i know a lot of friends are spending a lot of time you know watching netflix and i you know i'm definitely probably seeing everything on netflix at this point but not necessarily looking at this like it's a vacation one because i got rent to pay but um two because I think this is a great opportunity that whatever you put your time and focus into in this point is going to be what's going to help pay off as the corona season ends. So I've just been trying to really focus on staying productive and putting in kind of the building blocks together that will pay off when it is finally okay to go outside and hang out with people and celebrate life again. So, um, yeah, I've really just been focused on that. There is something, even with super productive people, I'm fairly productive. I have to do a day job. I have two side empires, family. And I'll actually, I woke up on Sunday thinking it was Monday. I logged in. I started pinging my team. I'm like, where are you guys? I, I literally didn't know what, what time it was. And you also have to be easy on yourself. I, I don't I don't think it's, I think going into it, if you're productive, you'll remain productive. But if you weren't, this isn't going to be the time to all of a sudden be like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to start that side hustle for most people. Yeah. Just, no, I was just, just having a conversation with somebody. Yeah. yeah. I was just having a conversation with somebody about that yesterday. And they were just saying that they go through phases of feeling bad because they're not being super productive right now. And that they like see all these tweets and they see all these Instagram posts and stories of like, you know, productivity and like, now's the time to start that business. And now's the time to like, graduate from whatever harvard university or whatever and like they were just feeling down on themselves because they're like i'm not as motivated to do some of those things in this very moment so really understanding that there's like a balance in everything and i think that's like something that i had to learn at a younger age and i've struggled with it at, at times it's just like finding that balance in life that like yeah it's cool to work hard but also you know nothing great comes without that balance so uh, even in my last role uh, as creative director at Supra I think I put so much time and effort and hustle and heart into it and I was working so hard you know staying in the office every night until 9 10 o'clock at night that uh, some of the balance in my life became off-centered and then at that point you're no good in any space right because um, you're not balanced and centered. So that was a huge lesson that I had to learn. And then like most recently to expound on that point, like I was reading, I so I actually did enroll in a course through Harvard um, University online um, during this during this time. And the, the course I'm taking is uh, Judaism through its scriptures. Um, so just learning a lot about like Judaism and the Torah and stuff like that. And so one of the passages or readings that really stuck with me recently was basically a passage that talks about trying too hard for something and not really giving into the hope or the knowledge and knowing that like God will also help you bridge the gap. And so there's a, a philosophy of thought that basically you can try too hard to make something work. Um, and then in, in essence, you actually uh, make it the likelihood of it working less likely. And so I kind of boil that down to, I was actually going through the process of at the beginning of March, I had got really sick and I was sick for probably about three weeks. Um, and with all this Corona stuff going on, I was just like, ultimately extremely fearful that like, I might have coronavirus and all these things. And so in an effort to make myself healthy, I started taking like all these vitamins, like vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, um, which actually, I started to develop headaches every day. 
And I found out that ultimately one of the vitamins I was taking was actually giving me a headache. So in which I was feeling like I was having Corona symptoms because I was having like a headache and migraine, but it was actually the effort of me trying too hard to like fight it and like take all these vitamins that was actually making me more sick. So uh, again, like I said, life's all about balance. Um, and that again was kind of like, you know, many stories that kind of go back into the same line of like not trying too hard, not going overboard, but finding that balance to where, you know, it all can work out for the best at the end of the day. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to when I started playing guitar, that my guitar teacher said, all you need is 20 minutes a day. And yeah. that just kind of like, that helped me figure out, okay, like not every day is going to be perfect. And it goes back to an analogy of the Shawshank Redemption, where he he's in prison and he, to get out of prison, he takes that dirt just a little bit every day. You know, he yeah. just do that hole in one day. And that's what entrepreneurship is, is as long as you can stay in it and keep with it, eventually things will catch up with you. It just, we don't know when. Yeah, no, that's so true. And that's like, even with my brand, I feel like I have been hugely influenced by the guys over at Supreme because they just like, I feel like they just did a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And, you know, it took 15, 20, whatever, however many years, but you know, Supreme is just on the top of the, the mountain right now with some of the stuff they've done over the last couple of years. And, you know, it, it didn't happen overnight. They just did a little bit, a little bit, a little bit for, you know, a couple of decades long and to the point where it just ultimately paid off. So like, that's kind of what's given me some uh, resolve and being patient uh, with what I'm doing with my brand. Uh, what kind of clothes or kind of products are you looking to put out in the next couple of years? Well, ultimately it starts with stuff that I would wear. So I'm a hoodies hats, you know, sweats type of guy. So we're starting there, but also like my biggest like opportunity, I think is going to be in items out that aren't necessarily worn uh, or apparel. So I've really been sourcing and sampling a bunch of home decor items. So pillows, mugs, aprons, you name it, shower curtains, rugs. I have a request for a rug right now that I have to finish the design on. So like more so in that space and I'm kind of more mostly influenced or hugely influenced by like Andy Warhol, who I think his products, his design and art is not necessarily known for just being on a canvas or necessarily being on apparel. Like you can put his designs on anything and people would buy it, right? You can, you can kind of imagine his designs on whatever and someone would buy it because that's just a cool Andy Warhol take on whatever it is. So that's kind of the direction I want to go. I'm going with my art and then by proxy with my products. You could put together a magazine, I think. Like you could do like a lifestyle magazine, like with all the different things that you do. Um, yeah, no, I've been I've been wanting to do a magazine. I actually sat down with someone uh, like two years ago to go over the magazine. I ended up moving to L.A. in the kind of before we could get started. But I'm. Um, I definitely at some point I want to have some type of e-zine or magazine or printable that kind of just celebrates the expressions of what we, what we do. Yeah, every time I see a Martha Stewart magazine, I'm like, she's gangster. Like, look at what she's yeah, doing. You, you know? <laughs> well, it's crazy too. I was just watching Mar Martha Stewart has that Postmates, I think, at a commercial that's I see everywhere like ten times a day, which is just kind of funny and ironic. I wonder how she's going to pivot from this. Because the whole thing is like, just if you want to cook, just Postmates it, which is so like counter 
to her whole brand, right? She's always been someone that's taught people how to make and cook and bake and all these things. And it's like now she's just promoting like an app to where people don't make or cook or bake anything. You just order it through the app. Um, and so I just thought that was a hugely in, intriguing position or pivot from who she's been from a brand standpoint and interested to see where she goes from there. Can she ever now come back to this magazine or this make it yourself type of mantra when I think ordering something through the app is like diametrically opposed or opposite of exactly that experience. So yeah, Martha Stewart is an interesting character there. Yeah. It'll, it sort of speaks to what people are looking for. I mean, she probably has research team that says, you know, people want this. And if you look at what's going on right now, so you just heard like Muddy Waters restaurant closed, you know, in Uptown, like all these restaurants are closing. How are they going to pivot, you know, and with rent still going up and the real feel for some of these small businesses that it will take a number of years to get rebuilt. Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting experiences, you know, small businesses and then mostly their experience with their landlords. Um, And I think ideally, God willing, I think landlords just got to take a back seat. I don't know. I feel like, you know, obviously they have bills and loans to pay too. But at the end of the day, I think this is going to be maybe lead to the opportunity where uh, I hope the housing market doesn't crash, but maybe the commercial real estate market crashes a bit to where uh, rental spaces and rental properties are actually become a little bit more realistic to pricing to where a business isn't spending so much of their bottom line just to keep the doors open um, and businesses can actually establish and save some money and it makes money. I mean, I'm, I'm like, there's so many businesses that are closing now that I'm surprised by because they've been in business in 20, 30, 15 years. Um, and you would think that they could weather a, a month or two or three of not being in business after having 15, 20 years of success. But again, their, their rent is so high that no matter how much success they've had, that 10, 15 grand owed every month without bringing some dollars in is actually tanking the businesses so quick. So um, if anything, I hope from this, I hope the not, the, you know, like I said, I hope not the housing market doesn't crash, but I do hope that the commercial property market kind of balances itself out to where maybe, you know, rents aren't so expensive for where businesses and small businesses can't afford to thrive. Yeah. The silver lining of this is I'm working from home. And like, if I were to do this over time, instead of taking a bus downtown Minneapolis and working at a headquarters, I could chip away at podcasts. I could do music production. I could do all these different things that when I come home, I'm too tired to do it. It's like, I can maybe do half of that through the week. And that goes back mm-hmm. to like the, the little bits over time build up. And I'm hoping that'll be a silver lining with it. Uh, what sparks your curiosity in terms of musicians and filmmakers right now? Mm, well, I think specifically to filmmakers, I'm like thirsty, hungry for new stories. I think, I don't know what happened to the film industry, but the sequel remake market has like took over. And I think there's a vacuum right now for cool, new, intriguing, heartfelt stories that are relatable to a multicultural audience. So an audience that kind of comes from many different backgrounds, but that can all still relate to a certain story. Yeah. So from, from the film space, I think there's a vacuum now, but I hope that this vacuum creates a need for those stories to be told. And I, I think fortunately we have things like Netflix and I think Hulu has been coming to the table 
with some cool stories. I think Netflix has probably carried the ball the longest as far or the furthest, I should say, as far as bringing, you know, really unique uh, multicultural stories that to the table that we all can understand and experience and enjoy. But yeah, from the film industry, there's that. I think the music industry is like reaching a point where I'm not saying make a, a make or break time, but I think we're, we're getting the, to the place where some of your like consistent heroes in the space are, you know, hitting a wall. And now there's a need for that next generation, that next uh, group of not only musicians, but also like content creators, right? Because I think as much as a musician is cool and dope, they're only as cool and dope as their creative director, right? They're only as cool and dope as the video team that they have. They're only as cool and dope as the photographer that they have around them. And so I think that there's going to be like, there's like a new need and space for like that next generation of creatives who typically kind of ride the wave or the coattails of the musicians. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, a lot more diversification too. Like when you when you look at, you know, Kanye went from being in debt to being a billionaire, he essentially diversified his portfolio and, and he just waited exactly. for things to sort of take off. And so I see that with what you're doing with working with artists, it seems like there's a lot of hidden interests or hidden artistic abilities in some people that they just need a, a venue or an outlet to, to access. Yeah, I think a lot of times artists specifically in the music space and probably executives in the music space, they stay in their role for too long. And so they stick to this kind of one thing that they do without diversifying their skill sets, diversifying what their interests and opportunities are. So I think Kanye is just someone who was able to leverage the fact that he's a wildly successful musician, producer, icon, creative, and then be able to pivot into the footwear and fashion game. I think for him, he believes in himself so much that there was really nothing that can stop him. I think in a lot of other people's, other a lot of other artists' uh, instances, maybe they don't have that same type of belief in themselves or cockiness or brazen, like outspokenness to where it's going to be, it is a lot more challenging because without, I think if Kanye wasn't Kanye, right? We say, we always talk about the old Kanye or the new Kanye, like whatever Kanye it is, if he wasn't that, an opportunity to put out sneakers probably doesn't happen, right? Because there, a lot of these brands aren't looking to give people ownership in this space. They can, they're, they're, there's an opportunity to be a face of a campaign or the face of a product to where equity is rarely on the table. So I think Kanye is a great example of showing where having an equitable involvement in a business actually has paid off for him. And so I think a lot of artists need to be looking into that space of, all right, I have this name, I have this following, how can I transition that into a different business space to where I don't only rely on my music and they can evolve, I think, as a business and then hopefully also as a person too, because I think a lot of artists get stuck in this that a certain lane and then it eventually kind of drives them crazy because they end up spinning their wheels trying to figure out how they're going to continue to be the same type of successful they were the year before or the year before that without understanding and accepting that all things evolve and change and so i think people should evolve businesses should evolve their interests should evolve you know as fans evolve customers evolve everything changes so unless you're doing that i think artists a lot of times drive themselves crazy trying to kind of stay in the same position year after year year after year year after year when that's you know pretty unrealistic in the history of like human beings especially since touring now takes a back seat where a lot of people put out music just to get that concert or just to get that following and uh, and now, 
especially in the concert space and the uh, musician space, but also in the movie theater space. If you think how we're consuming movies, I I'd like to see more installations of, uh, of movies. So like if you could, if you, what you're doing in the art world with installations or with uh, your gallery, could we do with filmmakers? And instead of trying to, to sell to a large audience, could we sell a hundred dollar ticket to watch a movie? Mm-hmm. In, in an environment that's an experience because we're losing the experience of being with other people. Yeah. No, I think you just uh, hit, hit it on the head. I saw when they put out the movie It, the first one, the first remake a couple years ago, I believe they did an installation or an experiential thing on Hollywood Boulevard where you had to like go through the haunted house before you got to the movie theater. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's something where it's really unique, where you have to experience it. You actually have a physical experience and then you get to watch the film. You know, I think Kanye did it on his last tour where he I, I'm not sure if it was the, the Jesus. I think it was the Jesus is King album where he did this really cool installation in the venues where he did these uh, grass hills all throughout the, the venue that when you watched it, it kind of brought that experience of going to a Sunday service. It brought it to life. If you couldn't make it to one of his Sunday services, you got to experience it at the show. So yeah, and no, I think, I think you're right. I think that's really going to be the only way to motivate people's coming soon come i still have a lot of friends that you know love the idea of going to theaters but i think it's getting fewer and further between um versus you know i kind of was having this conversation with someone i think now for the price of a couple trips to the movie theater i can probably buy a 70 inch tv and Mm -hmm. have the whole movie experience in my home so i think i can listen to myself Yeah, and I can laugh and I can, you know, some people like to smoke when they watch movies. Some people like to make, you know, some people don't just like popcorn. Some people like, you know, whatever they like, um, where in, you know, in the comfort of your own home, you can do all of that stuff. So I think that's going to present an ongoing challenge for the movie industry. And then also the fact that 80% of the quality movies that are made that get nominated for an Oscar usually come out probably maybe before even you can see them in the theater. Like there, there's movies that, that are already nominated for Oscars before I even had a chance to even know they were in the theaters. So now I'm either finding a director's cut or, you know, finding an uh, Academy version from like my uncle who works in, in TV here to where I'm seeing a lot of the films that way, still in the comfort of my own home and not having to go see it in the theaters. The problem with the comfort of my own home is I fall asleep to the movie and so oh, like if, if see, i know see that's better for me that's <laughs> yeah. better because I, I was gonna fall asleep in the theater anyway yeah. so it's <laughs> like it's, it's better if i just save myself the money and don't like any movie past like 9 30 i'm i'm 100 falling yeah. asleep in it like that's that was i actually probably 90 percent of the reason why i stopped going to movies is because i'll probably within 30 minutes i'm out uh, Ace, anything else you want to tell folks here who are looking to connect with other creatives and uh, any last sort of mentoring words that you give folks who are trying to get into the business? I don't know. Be a people person. Like, I feel like a lot of artists are very much so like into their artist bag to where they feel like their artistry will just speak for itself and you don't have to like them as a person. And I think, you know, one, one of my biggest like learning lessons is just seeing in my experience is just like, being a people person, like going out and networking 
and you know having a smile on your face and being a, a sense of joy for other people because that's going to make them a whole lot more interested to hear what you have to say what you have to pitch and want to hear your story a lot more and so that i think for me one of the things i've experienced from other artists and a lot of artists that i work with is some of the most successful artists i think they're successful because they're just genuinely they bring a good energy to the table and they kind of check and curb everything else at the door when they're in, engaging and uh, interacting with people. Because again, like networking goes, you know, so far and, you know, at the end of the day, you want your message to spread and nothing I think <laughs> spreads faster than like good news, happy thoughts and uh, positive energy. Put the good vibes out and you'll attract the good vibes. For sure. Ace, it's been really good getting to know you today. I uh, loved our conversation and thanks for representing Minneapolis and all that you do for everybody in the creative field. Anytime. Thank you for having me. How can we get a hold of you if we're interested in learning more? Instagram, as cliche as that sounds, we have uh, our plot gallery is plot gallery on Instagram, one word. Our clothing brand, plotting underscore co on Instagram. And then uh, my personal handle is Asa, that's A S A Azriel, A Z R I E L, Asa Azriel on Instagram. So that's my real first name if anybody wanted to know. Thanks. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for listening to the Roll Call podcast brought to you by We The Project. If you are interested in becoming a part of the We The Project community, you can head over to wetheproject.com and sign up for our newsletter. Thank you to Whiteheart Grove Productions, a partner in post-production for the Roll Call podcast. Produced by Petros Media.